0: Hey everybody, this is Gary Hoey and you are hanging with my friend John on Iron City Rock. Yeah.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 428 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 428, it's Christmas time here in Pittsburgh, so we're going to kick it off with some Christmas for you this time around. We have got joining us on the line, Jeff Plate, drummer of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra who will be at the PPG Paints Arena on the 22nd of December for two shows uh, with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra with her annual holiday mega extravaganza. And we're also joined by Mr. Ho-Ho-Hoey, Gary Hoey, who will be in town on December 14th to do a show at Moondogs in Blahn-Ox. Um So we'll talk a little bit about Gary in just a bit. Jeff, uh, obviously, Jeff played many of you are familiar, with drummer uh, for Sabotage, Metal Church, um, so right there I could stop and that's a great resume, but also uh, the band that has probably attracted more fans in the United States to arenas in the last 10 to 15 years than any other band, I actually just read somewhere that they were the uh, largest uh, number of people coming to, a, to see a single band in the US over the last 10 years, ahead of Metallica, ahead of Bon Jovi, ahead of U2, the TSO uh, and looking at their touring schedule you can see why uh, obviously very condensed it uh, goes from about mid-November through uh, really I think around New Year's Eve they wrap that up but eight shows a week uh, we had uh, Joel Holkstra on the line uh, just a couple episodes ago if you want to go back and check that in- interview out talking about the rigors of the tour but let's play a little Trans-Siberian and let's get into that interview with Jeff Plate
2: and all these wishes Christmas Day the stream of light, I had a chance to see everything that my heart thought could be For all the dreams you ever the first I knew and every other one was a charade of you You stayed close when I was far away And in the darkest night you always were the stuff who always took us in no matter who we are So she's coming home next Christmas day
1: To welcome to Iron City Rocks, we have from the Trans Siberian Orchestra drummer and founding member Jeff Plate. How are you doing, Jeff?
3: I'm doing great, thank you.
1: Well, you're going to be starting this up, um, and I'm sure you guys are already knee deep in pre production and rehearsal, etc. Uh, but in a blink of an eye, it's going to be Halloween, and you guys are going to be on the road in uh, early November. Um, does this get to be like riding a bike for you as you know musician you've been with this tour since since inception um or is it still stressful
3: well it is still stressful but i mean you know for, for myself and you know chris caffrey we've been here from the beginning along with al patrelli johnny middleton there's some of us who have been here for a long time so we, we know you we know exactly what the deal is and what we're getting ourselves into um, preparing for the tour though every year I mean it, it certainly has its it certainly has its changes and and these are the things that always you know keep us on our toes and whatnot but for the most part my band the East Coast band has pretty much been intact now for the past got almost 10 years and a lot of this music that we play on these on these tours regardless of the set list and the order that they're in but a lot of these songs we have played a number of times over the years so a lot of this is really just kind of you know, Blowing the dust off and tight- tightening this up. The uh, the main thing is 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 the main stage in the in the full production rehearsals, and this is where the show really comes together, and we have to be on our toes and really pay attention.
1: Now I, I think the average you know person on the street who comes to you know a hockey arena somewhere in the United States to see you guys, you know they're thinking November December. But can you kind of walk through the timeline? You know what your year kind of looks like as it leads up to this.
3: Uh, well, basically, the end of September, beginning of October, is, is the press, just like what we're doing now. Um, this is when the set lists start bouncing around and song ideas and who is singing what. You know, we, we may need to hire a new cast member, and that's that's something that's dealt with earlier in the year. Um, for the most part, these tours are being planned almost a year in advance. I can, if you want Stage somewhere towards the end of this tour, and this is how far I had these guys think. But throughout the year, between you know, the tour has to be built, it has to be designed. It's got to be, it's got to be routed. You know, there's there's so much that really goes on with this. So come the end of October is when we all get together and start rehearsing, which which lasts usually usually 12 days, 13 days. This is with both groups in the same building rehearsing the same show. And for this year, for example, uh, we, our tour starts on November 13th, which is, which is pretty much average for when we start the, start the tour. But, but once we start the tour, it's, it's on and it's busy. We generally do eight shows in five days every week. Friday, Saturday, Sunday are usually double show days. And this is the schedule that we keep right up until December 30th. Uh, so over the course of a little over seven weeks, we have two touring groups that cover the country. We are covering, I believe, it's 60 cities. We're doing 109 shows in that amount of time, and and close to a million people will will come to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. So, so that's basically it in a nutshell.
1: Now, as the, you know, the men behind the kit, you don't really get a song off. You know, uh, your singers kind of flow in and out. Um, you know, but you know the kind of the core of you know musicians you know, you're bass drum guitar you guys are there for for what it amounts to a very long rock show um you know grant it's got an intermission but you know you're doing a you know in pittsburgh for example 330 and an eight o'clock show and you're not doing that just in pittsburgh um you're a year older than you were last year obviously um does that take a toll on you physically
3: well sure i mean it, it's a lot of work but We've been going at this pace now for this is our twenty first year of touring, I would say for probably close to the last fifteen years. We've been on this this type of schedule and you know, to your point, I I do I do have a very physical job. I I exert a lot of energy and it's and it certainly has its wear and tear. But as far as the T S O show, for for people that have seen us before, you know, the first the first part of our show is, is a story. And we have a narrator who, who narrates the story in, in between our songs and sets them up, but but that allows me to have that break. You know, it's it's a two and a half hour show, but I am not playing full on for that two and a half hours. There, there's a lot of moments where I get to actually catch my breath, get a drink. We've got some, some acoustic songs, some ballads that I'm really that I, I may not be involved in or very little. So I certainly get a chance to to catch my breath so to speak but but trust me by the end of this tour I feel it you know there's there's a lot of shows that we do in a short amount of time
1: Does it and, and maybe this is you know kind of coming from the the perspective of a metalhead you know you've always been a metal drummer you know, people have known sure. you long before the TSO the Sabotage fans the Metal Church fans you know you're kind of one of the metalheads and and there are certainly that demographic this show appeals to them but does it kind of is it kind of neat to be able to to do a tour of this magnitude sell this many records and somewhat be anonymous to the bulk of the audience though I mean you know I'm guessing you're not mobbed you know when you go to the grocery store and maybe I'm wrong but you know you've got kind of a hardcore dedicated you know fan base who knows you know that guy played on that album and that album um but by and large, the TSO audience is maybe a little bit less into the names of every member of the band.
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly. And and to the when TSO was put together, you know, Paul O'Neill is the man that that had this vision and put this all together. He was working with some very big production people and and agents in New York City that, that also... You know, not only did they work with bands like Aerosmith and Def Leppard and the Scorpions and so on and so forth, but they were also, you know, big into Broadway in theater. And any Broadway show has backup. You know what I mean? Every member on that stage has a backup performer just in case somebody gets sick or something happens. Uh, And we have the same thing. So their whole philosophy was Trans-Siberian Orchestra tours in a very small box. You know, we have a limited time during the year to tour. We cannot cancel shows. So the show is about the show. It's not so much particularly about the individual person, you know, besides Paul O'Neill. And I mean, this is, in all due respect, he's the man that, that put this all together and wrote these stories and in and this music and, and really made these shows come to life, you know, he's the one that brought this whole thing to reality, but, but to your point, yes, there's a lot of people who don't know that Jeff Plate is the drummer, they don't know that Chris Caffrey's the guitar player, and to me, that's fine, I, I, I take no, you know, I'm not insulted by that at all, uh-huh. I think one part of this that, that really takes the edge off that is every night we do an autograph line, so, fans get to come through the autograph line and say hello to each and every one of us so so the mystery behind all the members of the band you know that that's kind of shaved off a little bit and you get to just meet us as real people and we don't we're not looked at is something more than that for the most part
1: yeah and what you said about you know the show being bigger than than you know if joel is sick or you know if chris is you know got, you know ill you know, you've got people to to sub in for them in some respects has the show gotten even bigger than paul at this point obviously with paul's passing a few years ago the show continues to do well but you know obviously you guys are all very reverent to his memory his family but has the show even outgrown paul's vision in some respects
3: uh well this was paul's vision and in all honesty you know before we lost
2: Uh, brad
3: time again about TSO being timeless TSO was going to be passed on from generation to generation and you know TSO is going to outlive us all and, and these were things that he was saying he was saying in uh, somewhat prophetic but it was you know when we lost Paul there was obviously you know a big hole in all of us I mean especially nice. we, our hearts go out to them even still for this but of course, there was the big question of, wow, what happens next? And when Paul's family decided that, you know, we need to keep this going, not only for Paul's legacy, but TSO has become somewhat important to a lot of people. And when you when you talk to our fans and they will say, maybe it's jest and maybe it's not, but their holidays do not start until they see TSO. So for us, it's like there's there's this added responsibility that every year we got to go out and deliver. We got to be better than the year before. But but to your point, Paul saw this coming, and he really wanted to create something that was going to last, you know, forever. And lo and behold, I think the guy accomplished that.
1: Yeah, it sure seems like it. I mean, you you, you know, I know, you know, when you guys did you know kind of the press a, a year ago, you know, you could sense. You know, maybe it was just reading into it, maybe it was some hesitation, but you know, to see it continue to flourish, you know, another year yeah. after that, it's it's wonderful to see, and you know, and I think it's something that Paul would have been very proud of. You know, it's, um, you know, you think about that. You know, people want their legacy to live on, and and you know, he saw something that you know few of us could foresee. You know, I remember the first time I heard. What you guys were doing you know it seemed like a million years ago you kind of scratch your head and go they're gonna do a christmas tour and it's called what you know um you know in (laughs) relatively small theaters and now you know you're playing hockey hockey arenas twice in a city in one day that's there aren't many bands out there that can do that you know in this era no i
3: mean we sell both of those shows out every time it's it's amazing, and I mean, here again, I'm, I'm an original guy. I've been in the middle of this from the very first note, and to see what's what's happened from that from that very the very first time that Paul O'Neill you say twelve twenty four, we're all looking at each other like he thinking, you know, sounds crazy, and then you heard the song and you go, wow, that is wow, there's something to that, and to think that that song took off. You know, that became the vehicle for Paul to put TSO together. And that song is still the driving force behind this whole thing. It's, it's the biggest song of the show. It's, it's a huge hit on radio all across the country every year. And but, but to your point, you know, you scratch your head at, what are these guys? We were the same way. I mean, the very first show that we played in, in Philadelphia, I, I can remember that like yesterday. We were, I mean, we were shaking in our shoes. We had no idea, and all of a sudden, it was like that first show was a hit, and then every show after that, and you go, wow, this is is really going to be something, and here we are getting ready for our 21st tour, and uh, there seems to be no end in sight
1: absolutely and let's hope not but Jeff I want to thank you so much we will see you uh, it's going to be darn close to Christmas by the time we see you. you're coming in on the 22nd for two shows in Pittsburgh it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys and I wish you guys a, a very successful tour and we'll see you in a, about a month and a half yep
2: thank you very much we'll see you all right time. Jeff take care Bye. millions of fans have witnessed the concert experience that launched a one-of-a-kind rock holiday tradition Trans-Siberian Orchestra WQED-TV, Columbia Gas of Pennsylvania, Q92.9, 96.9 Bob FN, and Live Nation. Welcome. The all-new Christmas Eve and other stories presented by Hallmark Channel. Two shows, Sunday, December 22nd, 3.30 p.m. and 8 p.m. PPG Paints Arena, The Power of Rock, combined with the majesty of classical. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com, LifeNation.com, or the PPG Paints Arena box office. Two shows, Sunday, December 22nd, PPG Paints Arena. Don't miss Trans-Siberian Orchestras. All new, Christmas Eve and other stories live. And again,
1: the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, PPG Paints Arena. Two shows on the 22nd. I know the afternoon show much to my surprise, almost sold out as of the time of this recording. I believe that's a 3 o'clock show. You can fact-check me on that. Uh, But it surprised me with a Steeler game at 1 o'clock, that the 3 o'clock game, that the 3 o'clock show would be sold out. I thought a lot of people would hold out for the night show. But uh, obviously it's a very family-friendly event. Uh, If you're thinking about taking your kids or something, it's certainly a safe show to take them to. Uh, And a lot of families come to that show, and I think that's why the afternoon show is quite popular. Uh, But I know there are more tickets available for the night showing of that, which is at 8 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. So check that out. You can go to Ticketmaster to get those tickets. I'm going to turn our attention now to another timeless, really in my mind, holiday tradition, uh, Gary Hoey. Gary um, actually was shocked when I look back uh, how long it's been since he's been on the show because it feels like yesterday to me Gary was on around the release of his Utopia album which was in 2010 so if you go back way back in the annals of Iron City Rocks you can check that interview out Uh, Gary great guy to talk to Uh, I remember vividly enjoying speaking to him a few times uh back then and it was a great chance to catch up with him talk about uh, his new album and also his annual holiday tour which will be coming to moondogs and blonox on the 14th of december so without further ado we're going to play you a little bit of classic ho 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 and get into that interview my pleasure to welcome back to iron city rocks after a long absence unfortunately we have on the line gary howie how you doing man
0: i'm doing great good to talk to you again my friend
1: yeah, it's awesome. You're going to be coming in uh we're going to catch a, a, your holiday tour, which I know a, a lot of years it kind of will hit uh the eastern part of the Pennsylvania, but it's it's great to get you out here on the western side. Um going to get you to just show at uh, Moon Dogs on the 14th in Blonox. Um but I really wanted to talk about uh, your latest solo album, The Neon album. Can you talk a little bit I mean, you you I don't want to say you did a format change a couple albums ago, but you certainly got a little more blues centric. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your evolution as a player and where you are now?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the blues has always been sort of my foundation, you know, like a lot of guitar players. And, you know, if you go back to my records, there's always sort of some kind of a blues song on there. So it's always been in there. Um, The Utopia album, when you and I talked last, was sort of a much more hard rock, melodic record, uh, rock album. And, um, you know, I was trying to write like really good hit songs. I don't know what I was trying to do. I think I was trying to compete with Nickelback or something. Um, and then I realized after that I, I failed. Um, but <laughs> And then I just got a record with my dear friend, Lita Ford, uh, which we made this long, you know, intense, awesome record. And so I was like, hey, man, I'm just going to do a blues record for fun. You know what I mean? One of those, like, let's take seven days and make a blues record, you know. So I had some songs, and I made Deja Blues, and then that led into Dust and Bones, which got me a record deal in Europe. Um, and then we just did Neon Highway Blues. So I, I'm trying to – it's weird. When I first shifted to the blues, I wanted to really try to sound as authentic as I could, right? And then when I, if you lead up to my newest one, Neon Highway Blues, I'm putting more of the rock in there, too, because I'm kind of more comfortable with it and I'm realizing, you know, with the blues and rock that you can mix it. You can mix it up. It doesn't have to be one or the other.
1: It's interesting to hear you say that because when I listen to that album, you know, it obviously in the title of the album you have the word blues, but when I listen to it, I still feel like I hear, you know, elements of your playing 10... 15 years ago in that it wasn't like a, a you know a complete 180 to what you've been doing before now you're going to you know pick up a slide and, and a dobro and become you know a delta blues man um it still sounds like right. gary hoey to me
0: yeah well thanks i mean you know that's important to me and and even on this latest record when i put on certain songs um like uh you know, almost heaven, you know, which has that, that kind of, uh, you know, that like, you know, it's more of a melodic, uh, kind of melody, uh, you know, compared to more to my old, my older stuff. Um, and the instrumental, uh, waiting on the sun, the same thing. It reminds me of Jeff Beck, that... I, it's kind of like that major grand, you know, entrance kind of thing. So I wanted to put those songs on the record. And then a bunch of people came up to me and said, man, those are my, some of my favorite songs. So I'm glad I did.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to hear, you know, like I said, it it still feels very uh, authentic and it wasn't like, okay, you decided you were going to jump on a style, you know, and that's, I think lends to the authenticity of it. Um, you know, as a player, it, uh, you know you're not, you know, just rebranding yourself as, a, you know, okay, now I'm a blues guy, and that was, I think, important to it. Um, when when you do blues music, and, and you know that you've dipped your toe in, in that world and had some chart success in the blues charts, do you find like, does it change your audience much? You know, it grown your audience at all, or how are your feelings there?
0: Well, it's interesting because my touring crowd seems to be the same audience coming along with me going, okay, you're doing some blues rock stuff, but we're still doing your older stuff. And then there's a newer crowd kind of coming in that are discovering us maybe from a blues festival that we played at, you know, that we normally wouldn't have played at. So we're seeing an expansion in our audience and, you know, I don't think my audience was that far from the blues crowd um, maybe a little more hard rock maybe the instrumental fans uh, are a little different but uh, not not too much of a change and luckily you know people are coming along with me and uh, enjoying it at this point
1: yeah uh, now from, from a technical standpoint I mean anybody who's picked up a guitar and played rock is familiar with you know the Quintessential blues scale and the pentatonic blues scale, and uh, but are you? Do you have to approach the you know when you're doing a blues number from a modes and, and scale type of thing any different than you normally would?
0: Well, I think the blues for me, if you if you look at either just a blues, a, a traditional blues, or a blues rock approach, uh, what I find is that it's more performance based. If you know what I mean, like. When I craft a perfectly, you know, three and a half minute, five minute instrumental song with harmonies and everything needs to be in its place, it's a little more, you know, like refining everything. Whereas I find with the blues, it's capturing the energy of a performance that you can live with, if you know what I mean, you know. Um, so I'll go behind the glass and play something and think I just killed it and I come back and listen and it has no energy, you know. <laughs> um, or I'll play a solo that I thought sounded good and they'll listen back. I'm like, I don't know, it's not quite there. So that to me is what what I find about the challenge of the blues is keeping it authentic and making it um, have that performance, you know, and one of the songs we do live off the new record is uh, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. And uh, I'm having fun with this one because we, it has kind of a, a Sabbath-y kind of, you know, it has like a shuffle kind of feel to it. Um, but, but we can we can kind of break it down in the middle and, and get that kind of like, you know, you know, and we can kind of get down and, and I can go crazy.
1: Yeah, that's got a nice swagger to it. So it, yeah, that's really, really cool. Um,
0: now, and then we rock out and then, it, and then at the end, it kind of has, you know, comes up with a lot of energy.
1: Yeah, now, when, when you're doing, do you, you record, um, are you kind of a track at a time kind of guy or do you get you know drums and bass in the same room? I know logistically sometimes it's very difficult to do in you know, the way records are made anymore, but do you get together to do these or is it kind of a, you do a track at a time sort of thing?
0: Well, we've been doing it uh, both ways, actually. The, the the way I traditionally do it is I, I make a demo at my home studio. You know, I have a home studio with a two-car garage kind of converted with a loft, and uh, I come in here and I make a, a demo where I get the tempo and I put some loops down and I track everything because I like to record sometimes my vocals and guitars, sometimes in my in my privacy of my house. You know, I can take my time. And so I do that and then I bring it to a studio with the big drums and get everything in a bigger studio. And then they track to that. Uh, and then sometimes that sounds a little sterile. So we'll just retrack it in the studio and then I'll redo everything to what they did. So it depends on the feel. Um, we were joking around about this next record of doing it more live in the studio. So we'll, we'll see.
1: Yeah. It, it's, uh, I'm always amazed by, you know, artists will do, you know, five days we crashed in a studio and kicked wrote and kicked out an album. And, you know, to, to be able to do it that fast. Um, are you are you meticulous when it comes to listening? You you mentioned you know about listening to the energy of some of your solos. Are you a guy who analyzes things to death when it comes to your own playing, or you kind of have to draw a line of when, when it's good enough, even if it isn't maybe good enough for you?
0: Yeah, I think sometimes for me, what I do as a producer, because I'm a producer, I produce other artists that is i try to find the balance of a performance that feels really good you know and that um is something you can live with forever you know that's what i tell people is can we live with this forever so i will say to other artists listen this is your record you have to live with this so do you think it's cool and if they if they do and i don't and i might say listen why don't we keep what you have but can we try to do something you know and maybe see if we can beat it you know um because we're not going to lose what we already have right and so that's it but you can also you know chase yourself in in a circle going too crazy because you know when back in the old days you couldn't have like a playlist of 20 takes right you had to like punch in and punch out you know the engineers like punch in on the upbeat Uh, But now sometimes I get overdone on Pro Tools. I put like, I'll do 30 takes and then I'm like, oh, okay. I like the beginning of this one, the middle of that one. So now I'm cutting something together. Then when I'm done, it sounds like a Frankenstein zombie. Um, So I go, well, you know what? Forget that. Let me just play a take all the way down. So I try to get a performance um, and not be too meticulous about every detail. Because I think uh, what the audience doesn't, they they hear more the feeling than they hear the perfection.
1: That's what I think. Yeah. That's fair, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's interesting you say about cutting it, and and it sounded like Frankenstein because it it is. It's for people who think that you know Pro Tools is the answer and you can cut and paste notes and notes and notes and get it to sound really good. Try it sometime. It's very hard to get it to sound like it came from one guitar at one time uh, when you're right, unless.
0: You know, unless you, like, it's the beginning of this part and the end of that part, you know, you can cut, like, a couple sections together. That's not a problem, you know. Um, <laughs> with, with vocalists, you know, I get crazy and I'm like, I'm like, I found the T from this other word, you know, and I'm moving, like, consonants around because <laughs> they didn't sing the S or something, you know. Uh, so there's a beauty to the digital world. You can, you know, or sometimes if I have a singer sing something and they're a little flat, you know, but their performance was awesome, you know, and it had the grit that you want. You know, so what? put a little tiny bit of auto tuner on it and fix the note. It's not the end of the world as long as it sounds good, you know.
1: Um, yeah that's that's but you know I, there's some guitarists you can tell you know back in the day you know if you were making this album in 19, you know 1989 and you were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a day in the studio and you know producers and engineers staring at you waiting for you to make money for them you know guys had to live with stuff a little more than they do today when you you know you mentioned you can work in your garage uh, you can sit there all night you know and and get it as perfect as you want but sometimes you it becomes a little sterile you know if, you, if you're too perfect
0: yes well that could be a blessing and a curse because if you can take as long as you want sometimes people take too long and for me like I, I it's really funny I can labor over an album for a year and then ESPN will call me and say we need ten tracks in six weeks and I'll knock it out you know or or, or some artist will come to me and say let's co-write a song and by the end of the weekend it's done and recorded and I go why don't I do that for myself? You know, so it's weird. You know, sometimes a deadline can be a good thing for people. Um, and, and I think that's important. If you're doing something, just give yourself a deadline. And say, okay, by June, I want this thing done, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. When in doubt, get your booking agent to get you on a bus in July. That'll get you done by June. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, oh, like
0: when I get a record release date, that really puts the fire under me. You know, They're like, okay, we need a release date. I'm like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, it's probably a good thing for a musician because I'm sure it's not easy touring on material that people haven't heard yet. Um, you know, I know I, I went to see an artist this past summer who their album was delayed, but they played like eight tracks from it. And, and it's cool because you're hearing music for the first time, but sometimes it's beauty in, in live performance when you're familiar with the song. So... Um, it's good to have well, those.
0: it's difficult. You're right. When a new record comes out, you want to you want to share your baby with the world. Um, I remind my band all the time when we put out a new record. I'm like, listen, we can't do ten songs off the new album. We have to do four and see how people like them and, and pick the right ones because you've got to t- serve it out a little bit um, and and keep keep you know the older albums that they want to hear in there too. I think.
1: Yeah, it, it's it is hard because I mean it's not like. You have the beauty of, of in most cities, the, I should say the benefit of radio, where they know they can push a new single. I mean, they don't push the Rolling Stones' new single, so they're not going to push anybody's new single in the arena of rock or blues. So, you know, you're really relying on your fans checking out YouTube videos and things before they come to see you. So. Um, yeah, and, and having that
0: tailgate party in the parking lot where you get the music cranking and, Yeah. you know... On the, uh, or at least on the drive-in. I, I would always listen to the band I was going to see on the way in. We would be mm-hmm. listening and, and getting excited for the show. You know, that's what it's about.
1: Yeah, and, and play well enough that you get them excited to listen to you on the way home. That's the key. Um, yeah. You, you work with your, <laughs> your son on this, this album, Ian. Uh, he's a guitarist as well?
0: Yes. Ian started playing when he was about five, and I've been teaching him over the years. And uh, he really has taken to the blues. And he loves rock too. Um, and he played a guest on my record on a song. And he played with me last Friday night when we kicked off my holiday tour, uh, the Ho Ho Hoey Rockin' Holiday Tour. He came out and played with me. And I got to tell you, he's got a great feel, his his vibrato, and the way he plays the guitar is just mm-hmm. uh, it's real cool to see.
1: Yeah, that's got to be a. a, a really special feeling for you to to step back and and watch that you know maturation and, and having someone join you on stage and it's it's great to see you know get like uh, the Almond bets band and and some some of these guys you know learning from you know the masters and you know the parents and, and taking that in you know so often it's so uncool whatever your parents were doing that uh, it, it's cool to see your son um, you know, jumping into it. Um, you, you yeah, it means
0: the, a lot. It means a lot.
1: You mentioned the tour. Um, you've been doing the ho 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 stuff now for, boy, it seems what twenty years now. Um, longer than that at this point. Um, yep, is this something you years, yeah. you, you kind of have to go back and. and relearn some of these or there's certain you know i i have had the complete ho hoey collection for as long as i remember so you know i'm familiar with all the songs but do you have there's certain ones you always have to do and and you kind of mix it up year to year
0: yeah well we have we have a we have a, about 10 that you know we've got to do every year you know it's just the you know people want to hear you're a mean one mr grinch Uh, You know, they want to hear the wah-wah. You know, as soon as we just start going, you know, as soon as I play the riff one time, you know, so we gotta do that, we gotta do, uh, the, we always come out with the 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> you know, we always break out with that. Hmm. Um, and we do Carol the Bells, we do Deck the Halls, Little Drummer Boy, um, where Matt does a drum solo in the middle and stuff. So we have a lot of standards that people wanna hear. Um, and then we try to mix it up a little bit, and then we'll also do some songs from Neon Highway Blues as well.
1: Gary, I have to, to ask, because i muddled around it with some of your songs over the years, is the Grinch, is that standard tuning you're playing that in?
0: Uh, well, the, I think the Grinch, we're down a half-step. Because I, um, I tune down a half-step a lot of the times, but I think on the Grinch, I think I'm in, I'm in, I'm in E, but a half-step down
1: okay it's got a nice snarl e, to it e flat, I guess.
0: yeah and then like the you know, when we do 12 days we're actually in drop d but a half step down so it's drop c sharp
1: okay so you, those, those are always tricky when you're trying to learn somebody else's song especially in the ad you know the days before you know all this stuff was tabbed out for you on all these websites to sit there and try to figure it out and then you realize somebody's tuned it's something funky i, re- I remember trying to Figure some of the Goo, Goo doll songs out. and He would tune every song was totally different. He, was like, he would just make up tunes. Right, and if you don't does. know the
0: tuning, it, yeah, it, it's so confusing. It's funny because I've been getting a lot of messages through social media where people have been asking me to teach them some of my Christmas songs and my mm-hmm. arrangements. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw up a video camera this weekend when I'm working on some songs and you know my days off uh, and start making some little videos to teach people how I'm playing Christmas because. You know, maybe on holidays they'll, they'll want to come home and play a song with the family. You know, so I'm going to teach yeah. a few.
1: that's a really good idea. I mean, that's something that um, you, they never did like a tab book for that album, did they?
0: No, we never had a songbook tab book for Ho Ho Ho. And it's funny, I just thought about it this morning. And I was like, why don't why don't we just do a songbook for the whole collection? So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to my manager and see if we can uh, get someone to help me transcribe it
1: yeah that, that would be a really i, I think a smart idea because they're, they're timeless songs you know it's it wasn't like uh you know some trendy hit or something like that those are songs i think that any anybody who's picked up a guitarist would or, you know picked up a guitar over the years would would really treasure having that that's a cool idea
0: yeah and they're going to be around forever so i'm going to work on that I'll, I'll send you a copy <laughs> yeah
1: you're, you're right there in in my personal catalog you know it's like the tso elvis and gary hoey um you Wait, know, I'll
0: tell my mother you said that. She
1: loves Elvis. Thank you. <laughs> I'll sneak in Bing Crosby once in a while. But, yeah, Elvis, i, I got to give the nod to Elvis, though. I mean, you, you can't do Christmas without without Elvis. But, uh, you know, it is. The
0: best. My, my mom played Elvis, Bing Crosby, and Johnny Mathis. Those are the three big ones.
1: Yeah, you can't. Mom, I, I swapped you out for uh, Johnny Mathis, and that's that'll work awesome, thank you man I want to thank you so much for your time again, Neon Highway Blues was out earlier this year that's available now, it's on your website Um, I'm assuming iTunes, all that good stuff so be sure to check that out Uh, Ho Ho ho! the complete collection is I'm sure still available on all those as well and we look forward to seeing you on the 14th when you get into Pittsburgh man
0: I'm excited too man thank you so much for the time and I really enjoyed it, I'm looking forward to the show
1: All right, Gary, take care
0: you too. All the best, man. Def Leopard,
2: Motley Crue, The stadium tour, a once-in-a-lifetime event, with Poison, and Joan Jett of the Blackheart. Pittsburgh, PNC Park, August 16th. Pre-sale for city card members now through Thursday at 10 p.m. Public on sale Friday at 10 a.m. Get tickets at livenation.com and Ticketmaster.com.
1: All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. A big thank you to Gary Hoey again on the town on the 14th of December. That's a Saturday night. Moon Dogs and Blonox ought to be a fabulous show, as he said in the interview. At least ten, maybe more of his ho uh, ho hoey trilogy of CDs, which if you don't have, um, or if you don't even know what a CD is, get to Spotify, get to Apple Music, get to wherever you get your music from and check out ho 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 Uh Not exaggerating in that interview when I said that is literally between the TSO, Elvis Presley, and Gary Hoey are my first uh, three go-to, uh, followed very closely by Vince Caraldi uh, and the Peanuts. So... A big fan of Christmas music, I I am, so it was really a pleasure to talk to him. And again, Jeff Plate, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, two shows getting close to being sold out on December 22nd. So if you want to catch either one of those great holiday events here in Pittsburgh, you better act fast. And uh, visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We are on all the social medias. We are Iron City Rocks. No spaces on everything. Um, If if there's a platform out there other than maybe TikTok, I don't think we're we're on TikTok yet because I, I doubt many of you are the age where you're using TikTok. But if I'm wrong... Email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Let me know. You can be our first TikTok follower. Um, We are on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, I I do believe our MySpace is finally shut down. But did you you know that MySpace.com still is up? It is. So until next time, we want to thank you so much. And uh, happy holidays to you and your family.